0: As Stephen has just told you, (laughs) uh, we are part way through a teaching series today called Telling a Better Story, where we think about how we can share the good news of Jesus Christ in today's society. It's a very practical series. We wanted it to be a practical series designed to encourage all of us and equip all of us in the church here to share our faith with others. To think about the sorts of conversations we might uh, have with people about this sort of thing. And having laid the groundwork over the past few weeks, we are now, as he says, looking at some of the stumbling blocks that are often raised by people in these conversations and how we as Christ followers might respond to these potential obstacles to faith. Last week, Justin, in a really helpful uh, uh, preaching uh, time, spoke about some of the objections people raise about the reliability of the Bible. And today, we're going to look at this issue of suffering in the world. Because sooner or later, in any conversation with someone about God and faith, it is inevitable that the question will come up. If God exists and God is good, why does he cause or allow so much pain and suffering in the world? Or, put another way, when people suffer, where is God? This is a very big topic. It's a complicated topic. Many, many books have been written about this question by lots of eminent theologians far better informed than me. That I can't cover everything in 20 minutes or so this morning. Really, at best, I can ask you to consider this issue of the Christian response to suffering and pain. And to ask you, maybe, to think about it in a way that you perhaps haven't thought about it before. Now, of course, although we are looking at how we, as Christians might respond to such a question. The reality is that all of us at some time or other will have pondered the issue of where is God when things go wrong? If God always wants the best for us, how could this happen to me? How could this happen to us, to them? We know that Christians are not exempt from suffering. Pain and sorrow and loss are as real a feature of life for Christ followers as for anyone else. It's not that challenging situations might happen or will only happen to some people at some time. We will all experience loss of some sort sooner or later. That is the human experience, as we read in Job. Chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. But evil does not spring from the soil, and trouble does not sprout from the earth. People are born to have trouble as readily as sparks fly up from a fire. And in this church family, we are aware of people who are or have faced uh, very difficult situations, serious illness, financial difficulties, unemployment, addiction, broken relationships. Of course, stories like these are hardly the whole of life. And for most of us, most of the time, things are good. Yet every life has a story, and every story will, at some point, be marked with pain and loss and sorrow. Sometimes we suffer. Other times we have to watch people we love suffer. Each situation is difficult in its own way, but trouble comes. And people like Richard Dawkins or Stephen Fry, people who doubt the existence of a loving God, they would say that this, this question, this lack of a satisfactory answer to this issue... Why does God allow bad things to happen? This is the thing which provides the best evidence, they say, that there is no God. If we're honest, don't we all wrestle continually, constantly, with the complexities and losses in life, within the context of our faith? And while it's fine for Christians to say, God will comfort people in their pain. If a child dies, if the cancer doesn't go into remission, if the marriage breaks apart, how much good is that exactly? Now, this issue is probably the number one obstacle that people grapple with when considering whether there is a God at all. And if there is, what He is really like. Is it possible? To believe in a God who is all-loving, so he wants what is good. And all-powerful, so he's able to make what is good in a world with so much suffering and evil. This is a really complex issue. And here is my number one tip this morning. If someone you are sharing your faith with raises these difficult questions, my advice to you is to refer them immediately to Steve, the vicar. (laughs) Because he knows everything. Alternatively, you might want to be honest with the person asking these questions. And tell them frankly that Christians don't know why any more than anyone else that there is often no satisfactory explanation for suffering. Sometimes people make bad decisions. But there aren't always reasons why bad things happen. Laws of nature or tragic accidents could be the cause. It is striking that the Bible itself contains so many stories about human suffering. There are many passages that wrestle with the mystery of suffering, and usually the Bible, uh, the biblical writers don't offer any explanation. Most of the time, they simply protest about their suffering to God. And these are people who are overwhelmed or disorientated, who are troubled by evil and pain just like us. And so if you are speaking to someone who is themselves experiencing heartbreak, who's struggling through the valley of the shadow of death as the psalmist describes it. The worst thing, the very worst thing you can do is to offer some neat and tidy answer to the question, where is God? It's no use pretending, no use saying the right words. We have to be authentic. And often the only response that makes any sense in the face of suffering is silence. Silent presence. But that gift is really the only thing that any of us has to offer these people in distress. There are often no worthwhile answers when their world has fallen apart. People in pain simply need to feel the fullness of another person alongside. But, of course, the question won't go away. How can it? And when the time is right and you get the opportunity to say something, you might want to think about these few ideas I share with you this morning. Because as difficult as it might be, I believe, I have no doubt, that a questioning and thoughtful response to our human experience of suffering can, for many people be a crucial part of exploring the Christian faith. Firstly, if you're going to say anything at all, I would not begin by talking about the fall as related in Genesis. About how God's perfect creation was tainted and his relationship with humans was fractured by mankind's original sin and disobedience. That one bite of the apple was all it took so that from then on, pain and suffering became a feature of the human existence. Now, I know that that, in very broad terms, is the fundamental Christian theology on how and why we live in a world where bad things happen. But I would leave that sort of explanation to the advanced religious studies class, If you offered that as any sort of reason to someone who was even vaguely interested in exploring matters of faith, you would just sound a bit mad. Why? Because lots of people simply wouldn't find that a very intellectually satisfying answer. In big picture terms, it might explain why bad things, why bad people do wicked things and cause terrible harm. But it doesn't obviously or easily explain why cells mutate into cancer, or viruses become toxic, or tectonic plates shift and cause tsunamis, or a motorist misjudges a bend in the road and drives into a pedestrian. Instead, when considering with someone whether there is a God and what he is like, you might want to, instead, rather, explore the deeper and more personal question that naturalism or atheism cannot explain. And that is our anguish as human beings in response to pain. And what that points towards. If human life is not essentially sacred, but merely an accident of chance biology and chemistry, does our outrage and anguish in the face of suffering really make any sense? Why would human beings really have any intrinsic worth and such a deep, conscious and emotive response to pain and suffering without God existing? Surely, as Richard Dawkins maintains, there would simply be blind, pitiless indifference where DNA neither cares nor knows that DNA just is and we dance to its music DNA just is and we dance to its music does it really matter if millions die in a pandemic or dozens are shot in a classroom you see it, it matters only if human life has essential value And I think that our reactions to the suffering of others, even, perhaps especially, those we do not know, point to this. Our outrage in reaction to suffering and our human experience of pain itself all confirm the common human intuition that there is more to life than some might say that our outrage at unjust suffering actually points towards the existence of God. Now, of course, as Christians, we believe that God really does exist, that God is a personal being, that God is essentially loving, and that God has made human beings in his image with a capacity to reason, to choose, and to love. And it follows from this that suffering hurts us as human beings in such a profound and shocking way, because human beings really do matter. Because being made in, him, in his image, our lives and our well-being are sacred. And you might then want to explore with this other person, to consider the nature of this God and the Christian understanding of his character. You see, the premise of the questions, like why does God allow suffering or cause suffering, assumes that God is all powerful, almighty, able to do anything, and so could prevent bad things happening if he chose to do so. That is what underlies this sort of question, and so the conundrum begins. Now, I'm not suggesting this morning for one moment that God is not omnipotent. That would be a very dangerous thing for me to do, bearing in mind I'm standing here um, waiting for a thunderbolt to hit. So I'm not for one minute suggesting that at all. But it's a theology that can lead us down a pretty muddy track. And the risk is that Christian theologians perhaps have become fixated on this characteristic to the exclusion of others. It's a belief that might provide comfort and reassurance in good times, but it can equally cause bewilderment and uncertainty in bad times. Rather than talk in terms of God being omnipotent, I find it much more helpful to think of him in the way he is described in the children's Sunday school song, Our God is a great big God and he holds us in his hands. That God is big enough for me. The language of divine omnipotence is drawn in the Old Testament from the imagery of ancient monarchy, where the king's will and purpose was absolute. But the New Testament moderates this kingly notion by emphasizing instead the model of divine parenthood, our Father who art in heaven. And parenthood is not about power, but about love. To think of God as that power called love, the one who suffers with and comforts the distressed, regardless of the outcome, it has for me... Spiritual integrity born of real-life experience. And then you could talk about the significance of a God who loves you and me and everyone else. Now, I promise you I'm not seeking to be controversial this morning, and many here will think differently. But some people struggle a bit to believe in divine intervention, Sometimes people honestly wonder about the notion of a transcendent God out there somewhere, deciding on some basis or other whether or not to intervene in human situations. But equally, I don't believe in divine detachment or dispassion, that God having, as it were, set the world in motion simply sits back and watches disinterestedly from a distance. I believe, I do firmly believe, in a God who is both involved with the world and also powerfully able to transform it. Not by manipulation and control, but through love. A God who is radically involved with our lives and embodied, uh, embedded rather, in our pain and suffering. A God who shares in the torment of an abandoned child, kindles in a bereaved parent hope to carry on living, inspires a victim to combat hatred and love with love and forgiveness. Ultimately, it is not an answer to a theoretical question that is required, but companionship, A God who shares our suffering and carries our grief. This is the God revealed in Jesus. A God who enters the world as a helpless child. Who lives in poverty. Who redefines authority as service. Who is utterly vulnerable on a cross. Whose sole existence is love itself. You see, I don't expect, I don't expect God to swoop down and make everything fine in the world. But I am convinced that there is no suffering soul whose pain God does not share. There is a lot of pain and suffering in this world, and God is there, inhabiting every part of it. Our call as compassionate people of faith is to work toward overcoming evil and injustice wherever we see it. Understand stand as witnesses to the presence of God. And as we do that, we, we become the embodiment of an answer to the question, where is God when bad things happen? Now finally, you might want to reassure this person that you're speaking to that what we experience as God's absence or distance or silence is simply how we perceive it. It's how at some point it looks and feels, but it isn't how it is. That we can fear God is absent or distant, even though the Bible tells us that in Him we live and move and have our being. We are simply called to trust the promise more than the perception. And throughout the Bible, we see lots and lots of examples of these promises being repeated. Psalm 23, we read this morning, verse 4. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Isaiah 30, verse 21. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. Isaiah 43, verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, uh, they will not sweep over you. Hebrews 13, verse 5. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. And so you can say to this person with confidence, this person who's asking these difficult questions, that ultimately, at the heart of the Christian faith, is the offer of a relationship with a personal God, who is not a machine or some system, but a loving Father. A God who entered this suffering world in Jesus Christ and suffered and died not only with us, but for us. And his suffering offers us redemption and comfort and point towards a future filled with hope. Those are the sorts of things you might want to say to somebody who asks you these difficult questions. Or... Alternatively, you might want to send them to Steve.